Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to another week of Simply Wall Street's Market Insights. My name's Michael, and this week we'll be going over navigating the not-so-easy money era. About a year ago, we covered Howard Marx's sea change memo, in which Marx said he believed we may be witnessing a major shift in the investment environment. After basically four decades of declining and occasionally near zero interest rates, he believed rates may, on average, be higher going forward. Marx recently published a follow-up memo unpacking more about rate cycles and their effect on investor behaviour. The memo was titled Easy Money. It's a doozy at over 7,500 words, but you can also listen to it if you're more of the audio type. While we recommend reading or listening to the whole memo, we're going to cover a few key points that stood out to us and how interest rates and investors' expectations of where they're going impact stocks through the five criteria on our snowflake. But before we dive in, here's our quote of the week. I believe investors can gain an advantage by studying cycles, understanding their causes, and watching for excesses in one direction that are likely to lead to corrections in the opposite direction. Howard Marks. Now, let's dive into what happened in markets this past week. Firstly, US credit card and auto loan delinquencies are at 10-year highs. What's our take? This is one of the first signs that US consumers may be cracking. However, delinquency rates are still a lot lower than they have been during significant rate hiking cycles. Nevertheless, this trend is something that investors will be watching very closely. Secondly, Disney's ESPN, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Fox are joining forces to launch a streaming sports platform. What's our take? Sports fans will be pleased to see more sports streaming options coming to the market. It's estimated that the new service will cost around 40 bucks a month, so its audience may be limited. Despite this being a streaming platform, doesn't this sound exactly like what a cable company is? Thirdly, China is replacing its top market regulator in an effort to end the market route. What's our take? We're not entirely sure you can regulate stock prices out of a bear market. It might be more worthwhile to focus on creating an investor-friendly business environment. It seems China may be forced to move ahead with the proposed $278 billion rescue package in an attempt to breathe some life into the market. Also, here's some of the key economic data releases that happened last week. Firstly, Australia's trade surplus fell to $10.96 billion, but was notably higher than expected. Secondly, Australia's central bank kept interest rates at 4.35%, as expected. Thirdly, Germany's trade surplus increased to $22.2 billion, well ahead of the $17 billion expected. Four, US ISM Services PMI rose 6% to 53.4, above the expected figure of 51.7, which is a sign of growing confidence in the economy. And lastly, Canada recorded a small trade deficit compared to the $1.8 billion expected. Now, let's talk about easy money and its consequences. When we mentioned Marx's sea change memo, and quite a few times since then, we said investors should consider the prospect of rates remaining higher for longer. That's still true, but today we're going to focus on some of the other insights Mark shared in his latest easy money memo. The effect of low interest rates. Marx mentioned the following 10 effects of low interest rates. 1. Low interest rates stimulate the economy. 2. Low interest rates reduce perceived opportunity costs. 3. Low interest rates lift asset prices. 4. Low rates enable deals to be financed readily and cheaply. 5. Low interest rates can lead to financial mismatches. 6. 
Low interest rates encourage greater use of leverage, increasing fragility. 7. Low interest rates encourage risk-taking, leading to potentially unwise investments. 8. Low interest rates give rise to expectations of continued low rates. 9. Low interest rates bestow benefits and penalties, creating winners and losers. 10. Low rates induce optimistic behavior that lays the groundwork for the next crisis. Now, we've changed his order slightly, but the point is, 1. The first five are mostly about the maths, and 2. The second five are about behavior and are easy to overlook. The behavior of investors, business leaders, and consumers changes when rates are low, or expected to fall or remain low. This behavior has longer-term consequences for the economy and individual companies. So, let's talk about another way to think about interest rate cycles. The biggest question the investment world has right now is, when will the Fed cut rates? It often seems like central banks are the be-all and end-all of interest rates. Marx reminds us that even without central banks, there would still be an interest rate cycle, or more accurately, a credit cycle. In his memo, he said, Roughly 30 years ago, largely thanks to my involvement with my partner Bruce Karsh and his distressed debt funds, I became much more conscious of the importance of fluctuations in the availability and cost of money. The longer I'm involved in investing, the more impressed I am about the power of the credit cycle. It takes only a small fluctuation in the economy to produce a large fluctuation in the availability of credit with great impact on asset prices and back on the economy itself. The credit cycle can be easily understood through the metaphor of a window. In short, sometimes it's open and sometimes it's closed. And, in fact, people in the financial world make frequent reference to just that. Quote-unquote, the credit window, as in, the place you go to borrow money. When the window is open... Financing is plentiful and easily obtained, and when it's closed, financing is scarce and hard to get. This cycle would exist without central banks, though there might be bigger booms and busts. When rates are low, lenders and investors are forced to take on more risk to earn a return. This leads to higher asset prices and more investment, but eventually reality catches up, leading to a scarcity of credit and higher rates, which is the price of that credit. Besides paying attention to what central banks are doing, investors should think about cycles and the potential consequences of decisions made at each stage of the cycle. Right now, the market appears to believe that rates will soon fall. That means investors are acting as though they will, regardless of whether that turns out to be true. Our insight later on explains why this is potentially dangerous thinking. Now, let's talk about why central banks have multiple mandates. The primary role of central banks is to keep prices stable, i.e. in most cases keeping inflation at a target rate of around 2%. The reality is that central banks also try to prevent recessions, stimulate growth and employment, and save the economy from crises. The more they try to achieve with low rates, the more unforeseen consequences that can result. In Marx's words, he said, If I ran the Fed, to be clear, I don't expect to be offered the job, I think I would a. lower rates to stimulate the economy when it's growing too slowly to produce needed jobs, b. raise rates to cool off the economy when it's overheating to heat off rising inflation, and 3. keep my hands off rates the rest of the time, allowing market forces to determine their level. Most investors don't expect rates to fall back to zero unless there is a major financial crisis or a severe recession. 
But if that does happen, we might end up with a whole bunch of easy money decision making again, i.e. more money chasing scarce goods. So are current rates high? While interest rates may currently seem to be high, it's important to remember that it's all relative. Historically, rates have spent a lot more time between 4 and 8% than they have below 4%, and the chart in the article illustrates exactly that. When Marx started working in the investment business in 1969, the Fed funds rate averaged 8.2%. Over the next 20 years, it ranged from 4% to 20%. So, unlike people who have only been investing in the 21st century, he doesn't consider today's 525 to 5.5% rates high. And between 1990 and 2000, the last period he considers, quote, normal for rates, it ranged from 3 to 8%, suggesting a median of 5.25 to 5.5%, which, as you guessed, is in line with today's rates. All this is to say that no, today's current rates aren't high by historical standards. So, how do rate cycles affect stocks? We're going to consider the effect of rate cycles on share valuations and company performance. We'll do this through the lens of the five categories that make up a snowflake on the Simply Wall Street company reports. So, first a quick primer on the Simply Wall Street snowflake graphics in case you aren't up to speed. You'll find a snowflake at the top right of every company report on the Simply Wall Street platform. The one in the article is for Microsoft. Each Simply Wall Street company report includes six checks within each of the following categories. 1. Valuation 2. Future growth 3. Past performance 4. Financial health, and 5. Dividend payments. That's 6 checks in each of the 5 categories, or 30 checks in total. The snowflake is simply a graphical representation of those 30 checks in one image. If a company passes every check for a category, it reaches the outer edge of that segment of the circle. When you look at the whole snowflake, the shape tells you about the company's strengths and weaknesses, and the color tells you about the overall score. Green means it passes most of the checks. Red means it fails most of the checks, and yellow or orange fall in between, and typically means the company is strong in one or two categories, but weak in others. Like snowflakes, the real ones, every company is different. Consider the following four companies which have snowflakes with very different shapes and colors. Firstly, Argon is strong across all five categories, but future growth is a little weaker at four out of six. Simon Property Group has a 5.3% dividend yield, but appears to be offering good value. But its balance sheet and future growth is concerning, so it might struggle to keep paying that dividend. MongoDB has outstanding growth prospects and a strong balance sheet, but it's also considered overvalued and financial performance has been poor. WeWork is a disaster across the board with a total score of 2 out of 30. In fact, it has been delisted from the New York Stock Exchange and is only trading over the counter. Does this mean green snowflakes are a buy and red ones are a sell? Nope. Let's look at what the snowflake is and isn't. What a snowflake is. So, a snowflake is a summary of publicly available company data combined with analyst forecasts. It is a quick way to get a sense of the type of company you are dealing with and identifying the potential weak points. It is a tool to speed up the process of finding and filtering potential investments. It's a great way to compare companies on the fly. You'll find Snowflakes on the screener, watch list, portfolios, and collections so you can see what their relative strengths and weaknesses are. So, what a Snowflake is not. 
It is not a buy, sell or hold recommendation. It is not a substitute for fundamental research. And it is not an indicator that tells you everything you need to know about a stock. While appealing investment opportunities are possible with any type of snowflake, greener snowflakes typically indicate stronger businesses, while red ones typically indicate weaker businesses. There are tens of thousands of companies that you could invest in, and you can't possibly go through the company reports of all of them. So, step one is filtering companies by the shape of their snowflake for what you're looking for. Step two is then reading the company report of those companies. And then step three is finding the qualitative information that completes the picture for you, i.e. competitive advantages, management quality, industry trends, products, intellectual property, etc, etc. Okay, so back to interest rate cycles, which we will consider through the lens of the five categories that make up the snowflake we've just talked about. Valuation. Interest rates affect the present value of future cash flows, which is ultimately what you are buying when you invest in a share of a business. The further into the future cash flows will be generated, the more they need to be discounted, and the higher interest rates are mean they need to be discounted more. The current share price will discount the market's expectations for rates in the future. So, if those expectations are incorrect or change, the share price will need to adjust accordingly. Future growth. Interest rates dictate the price the company and its customers will have to pay to borrow money. Future spending by the company and its customers will also be affected by their expectations for the direction of rates at any given time. If consumers are lowering their spending due to rising rate expectations, then certain businesses' future revenues could decline as a result. If businesses are cutting back on their operating expenses, i.e. day-to-day expenses, then profit margins may increase, but they may be offset if the company has a higher interest rate expense, that is, for those companies that have debt on the balance sheet. If a business reduces its capital expenses, i.e. the big investments, their future revenues may grow at a slower rate because they're not reinvesting as heavily in the business. Past performance. A company's past performance needs to be viewed against the interest rate environment. If a company benefited from easy money, things might not be as easy in the future. However, if a company manages to generate a return when rates are higher, it may be able to do even better when they fall. Financial health. If a company has debt, its ability to service and refinance that debt will depend on interest rates. Bad decisions made during a period of easy money can lead to problems later on. But higher rates also force companies to fix past mistakes and make better decisions. These companies can emerge leaner and stronger if they survive. And lastly, the dividend. Higher rates mean dividends are less attractive than bonds and savings accounts. For example, if purely yield is your goal, why take on equity risk to get a 3% dividend yield if a savings account or a bond can pay you 4 or 5%? If a company uses debt, it needs to be able to pay the interest on that debt and keep paying the dividend if it pays one. Companies are usually very reluctant to cut their dividend, but taking on more debt to pay a dividend is one of those bad decisions that gets made during periods of easy money from management teams with short-term incentives. Keep an eye out for high payout ratios in section 5.3 and 5.4 of the company report. So, what's the inside? Consensus could be wrong yet again. Marx ended the memo by pointing out that consensus has been dead wrong over the last 18 months. First, the Fed was going to cause a recession. Wrong. Then, 
the Fed was going to pivot and be forced to cut rates aggressively. Wrong again. And then, after he published the memo, the expected March rate cut became very unlikely too. He pointed out that the current consensus view about inflation getting to 2%, no more rate hikes and a soft landing could just as easily be wrong again. If that ends up being the case, that reality will need to be accounted for in share prices, which it currently isn't. In the article, we have a chart from a great article done by The Economist to really drive home that point. In the chart, you can see the actual Fed funds rate in a thick blue line and what investors' expectations in aggregate were at different points in time and how much they differed from what actually happened. The difference is quite notable. So what's the moral of the story? Don't rely on interest rate forecasts. Now, let's wrap up with some key events during the next week. On Monday, Australia's Westpac Consumer Confidence Index will be published. It's expected to be better than the prior levels of negative 1.3%, but remain in negative territory at negative 0.8%, i.e. less pessimistic. On Tuesday, the UK's latest unemployment rate is expected to rise from 3.9% to 4%. Also, the consumer inflation data will be published in the US. Headline inflation is expected to remain at 3.4%. On Wednesday, Japan's GDP growth rate will be announced. Economists expect it to swing up to 0.4% from the prior negative 0.7%. In the UK, inflation, retail sales and manufacturing production data is expected. Manufacturing production is expected to fall slightly from 1.3% to 1.1%. Retail sales are forecast to rise 1.2% after falling 3.2%. On Thursday, UK GDP is expected to be flat after previously contracting by 0.1%. US retail sales are expected to be up 0.2% month-on-month, down from 0.6% for the prior period. And on Friday, US producer prices are forecast to rise 0.1% after declining in December. US housing starts are forecast to be flat at 1.47 million. We're about halfway through earnings season and on to the smaller companies. Some of the bigger ones due to report this week include Coca-Cola, Cisco, Applied Materials, Deere & Company, Shopify, Airbnb, Arista Networks, Cadence Design Systems, Moody's Corporation, Occidental Petroleum, DoorDash, and Datadog. That's all for this week's Market Insights. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, invest well. Simply Wall Street analyst Richard Bowman and Simply Wall Street have no position in any of the companies mentioned. This recording is general in nature. We provide analysis based on historical data and analyst forecasts only using an unbiased methodology and our articles are not intended to be financial advice. It does not constitute a recommendation to buy or sell any stock and does not take into account any of your objectives or your financial situation. We aim to bring you long-term, focused analysis driven by fundamental data. Note that our analysis may not factor in the latest price-sensitive company announcements or qualitative material.